Let's jump into our word today. 1 Corinthians is our letter we're studying. 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 14 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're going to start with a picture of this guy. Does anybody know who that is just by the photo? You get bonus points for history class. You can just say it aloud if you do. It is a person, human, male. That is a photograph of Andrew Carnegie. He lived November 25th, so we just would have had a birthday here this last week. 1835 to August 11th, 1919. He was born in Scotland, and then his family settled in the, around the Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania. And as a young kid, he got hired and started working in the telegraph and working with communication in the railroad. And they said he just had an amazing ear that he could hear the different sounds of the telegraph without even the machinery. He could just hear it. And so he was really brilliant at that. And, and he worked his way up in the railroad and then also was a huge one of getting the steel industry going in our country. So he ended up being, I don't know if he's the richest person in the world, but he was certainly the richest person in our country at the time. Just made tons and tons of money in the railroad and with uh, steel. But one of the things I found interesting is he really decided to give it away. It says here, during the last 18 years of his life, he gave away around $350 million. In today's currency, that would be $5.2 billion. Actually, in 2020, it been $5.2 billion he gave away. It was almost 90% of his fortune he gave away to charities, foundations, and universities. And so that's, it's amazing. But what, one particular thing that struck me is something that was particular in his life when he was a boy, and he said, when I was a poor boy, there was a man named Colonel James Anderson. And Colonel James Anderson, on Saturdays, would let these boys, I don't know if his friends or what, they would let him in to look at his private library. And so he found that just amazing to go look at these books. I don't know if they got to check them out or they had to stay in the room, but that was something that impacted Andrew as a boy was this, this man letting him see his library. So one of the things that Andrew Carnegie did with his giving away was to launch and to plant libraries all over Scotland, the UK, and the United States. He, he launched libraries. And the, the city had to come up with a plan to pay the staff and to, and to buy some of the collection, and he would give money to build the building. So there was kind of a cooperation. The cities had to prove that they could fund a library. So of his money he gave away, $56 million went for construction of 2,509 libraries worldwide. $40 million of that was given for construction of 1,670 public libraries in this country. In this country. So, in many of them, about half of the buildings still exist today. Not all of them are libraries, some of them have been turned into community halls and, and ve- various things. But is this a familiar sight? Anybody driven by that? That is the Fairhaven Library, which is a Carnegie Library. And it's one of the ones that is still operating as a library, at least the last time I was there it was. But um, So it's one of the ones, there was even some talk on one time, they were going to maybe tear it down or do something different, and they did some remodeling, but it still is one of the ones that functions as a library from the Carnegie donations. 
And so I just thought of that story because this man decided to bless others beyond himself, right? I don't know. He, I don't really know that much about him. He could have been a horrible guy in a number of other ways. So I didn't read his whole biography. I just was focused on the library part because we have a library in Bellingham in Fairhaven. But the idea he thought is he had this amount of money and he said, I'm going to bless communities. I'm going to bless them with something that lasts. You could go there today, check out books, videos, materials. You can learn, you can grow, and anyone can go for free. He left this lasting legacy. He blessed others beyond himself. Now, how that relates to our passage is what we're going to see, we've been seeing in this letter of the Corinthians, for some reason they got really focused on certain spiritual gifts, particularly the spiritual gift of tongues, and they were very much wanting to do this and to have this. And what we're going to see today is Paul's going to say, you know what, that really only blesses you. That does nothing for the community. That does nothing for the church. That does nothing for the body at large. And Paul's going to urge them to desire spiritual gifts that bless the church, that go beyond themselves. Because what we know is that Jesus didn't save us to be individual believers. He saved us to be a people. He created a body. He made us to be a church. We've seen that the last few weeks. Paul's belabored the point that there's an intentional diversity among the believers and a diversity among the gifts, but it's all meant to work together to bless one another in the way that, that someone's library donation is blessing our community today. We have an opportunity for the spiritual gifts, specifically of prophecy or the word, to bless a church community beyond ourselves. So that's our point today, is that we want to make every effort, make every effort, there's an urgency There's a a tenacity there. Make every effort to build each other up with the word. Make every effort to build each other up with the word. So that's what we're going to see. And my Bible was in Mark 14, which would have been a strange sermon. So Mark 14 is good, but it's not what I prepared. Let me get to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's read. We're going to do verses 1 through 19 today. And take a look at this idea. Make every effort to build one another up in the word. So, 1 Corinthians 14 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. 
But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So we're going to go that far today. Do you remember our goal? Make every effort to build each other up with a word. You heard it over and over. Build up, build up. Every, people need to understand. So the first thing let's deal with is tongues. What are we talking about? What are we talking about here? What is this tongues? What is this word? What is this? What's happening here? What are we even talking about, tongues? So let's just take a look at that real quick. First thing he says, 14 verse 1, is to pursue love. And we spent all last week talking about chapter 13. What does love look like? Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So we're going to come back to that. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now, this idea here of tongues, um, there's something happening different. So I want to look at the original coming or or a sign of tongues and then come back to this. Because here he's saying, if you're speaking in a tongue, no one understands what you're saying. You're speaking a spiritual mystery. Some kind of a prayer language, a heavenly language. Nobody knows what you're saying. In fact, later we'll see, you might not even know what you're saying. It's some kind of sound. So Paul's saying that he wants you to desire prophecy because the speaking in tongues is something that is mysterious. You don't know what it is. But I want to go back to the original uh, speaking in tongues situation or when the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. Because there's some, there's some different things happening there. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is the, really, this is the birth of the church. But what we have is Jesus has ascended to heaven. His apostles are gathered in Jerusalem. He told them to wait. He says, don't leave the city. Wait until you receive power from on high. So this event's called Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was with them for 40. Luke tells us that. He was with them for 40 days doing signs and, and uh, teaching about the kingdom. And then he ascends to heaven and says, wait. So they wait 10 more days. You get to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And this is the coming of the Holy Spirit. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so we got that. The fire tongues are there. All of a sudden they're speaking in other tongues. But notice now Luke's going to belabor the point that these were languages. So look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So he's made the point. There's people from all over the world there. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Are you able to isolate whichever one that is? I got a light going bing, 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 bing. If you can't, that's fine, but sorry, it's distracting me. Okay. So in their own language, they run together and they're hearing him speak ah, in his own language. And then he goes on to explain them. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it we hear each of us in his own native language? And notice he's going to list them. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So clearly when the Holy Spirit comes and this gift of tongues, they're speaking actual languages. They belabor the point. We're hearing them in our own tongue, our own language. People understand it. He lifts off all the nations and they go from Europe all the way around to North Africa that were there. Lots of languages. There's act, they're not just making weird sounds. They're speaking a language that they didn't know, that they hadn't studied for. The Holy Spirit enabled them to do it, and the people understood it. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. There's something very different there, isn't it? One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, for no one understands him. There's something very different there, right? It's this some kind of a prayer language, some kind of a spiritual thing happening where the people don't know what you're saying okay so there's there's different things that are happening and in this case tongues is happening in a way that is not like the acts two tongues where people walk in the room and they say i speak german and somebody starts speaking german to them tongues is happening where people are speaking some kind of sounds that no one knows what they are they're a prayer language a heavenly language something you might hear called ecstatic language and so there's something different. So I think we need to separate that out. Tongues, that Paul is talking to this church, he's not talking about enabling you to speak a language of another country that you didn't know. He's talking in this passage about people doing some kind of prayer language, heavenly language that nobody knows. So that's the difference that we're talking about. And what he's going to tell us is that tongues bless only one, just the individual. It does not bless the church. It does not build up the church. It blesses just the individual. So that you, just, you can see that all through there. You see it in verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Right? But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So there's a difference there. One is just you having this private moment with God. And I, I, don't, I don't think this is a normal or must happen to be a follower of Jesus. For some people, this experience happens, and it happens. But if you're saying, oh, I've never spoken some weird prayer language, that's okay. Because as we're going to see, he'd much rather you speak intelligible words to build somebody up than have this happen. For some people, this is part of their spiritual experience. 
It's not been for me, but here we have it in Scripture, so we're going to follow this along, all right? But the key is the tongue is some kind of private thing between you and God through the Holy Spirit. You see this uh, in verse 7. You go down there. He, he compares it to even if lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle, right? Have you got a piano in your house? we got a piano in our house. And most people don't know how to play it. So when they come to my house and play the piano, it sounds like this. You can imagine after 10 minutes of that, I go insane. So... If, if that was happening, right, if Mark just got up there and his fingers got weird and he couldn't play anymore, we'd just go, you've got to stop this, right? You've got to stop this. And Paul's saying if an instrument doesn't play notes that anybody knows, you're not in a key following a melody and a rhythm, it just sounds like what I just played for you, which some of you are having probably PTSD. Like, yes, we had a piano in our house and we made Brad take it away. So, same thing. It says, so with yourselves, if you're, with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. So there's languages that people can't understand, but he's saying, if I don't know the meaning, does it really matter? Does it really matter? So I guess you could say it's possible they're speaking a language that no one in the room knows, which is also his point. If you're speaking aloud, you're taking time in church, if somebody stood up in here and made a whole bunch of noises into the mic, we would just go, I don't know what just happened here, versus people stood up and gave beautiful testimony to God's faithfulness. So that's, that's the idea, right? And he's saying, you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, but I want you to be eager to build up the church, not, I want a spiritual experience that exalts me or feels like I'm moving forward. That's, that's what he's getting at there. So let's keep going. Verse 13. If you do have some kind of speaking in a tongue event, pray that someone can interpret. We're going to get more into that in the next section. For if I pray in my tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. This gives you the idea that even the person doesn't know what they're saying. It's just sounds. Right, That I can pray in a tongue, my spirit is praying, but I don't even myself know what I'm saying. Verse 15, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So Paul's saying, I do this, this happens. He's saying, but, and that's a private thing, that's something between me and the Lord, but I also want to have times when I'm speaking words that I know and singing words that I know. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? And we just experienced that. People testified today, and we said amen. Verse 17, you may be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. Look, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's saying this happens in his life. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue, right? So he's saying that's a private thing. If, it ha- if it's the Spirit enables you to do that at home in your prayer time, beautiful. But when you're gathered with people, we need to be building each other up in languages we understand. I love this five words with my mind. Dustin back there. How old's Dustin? Nine? Ten? Nine? 
He just stood up and blessed us. Did he not bless you all when he spoke into the mic? I'm thankful for my family and my friends and Jesus. That kid just blessed our whole congregation because he spoke a language we understand and testified. So this is what Paul's saying. Tongues blesses only one. So for some reason, they were really focused on that. They really wanted it to happen. I think they thought it was a sign of spiritual maturity, spiritual authority. And Paul's saying, you know what? There's a whole lot better things you can be focused on that help the whole church, not just you. Not just you. So here's where we get to our our main point, that we want to make every effort to build each other up with the Word. So I want to show you the connection here with prophecy and the Word, right? So... The next section or the next point I want to make is that prophecy blesses everyone, right? The tongues blesses only one, the speaker. Prophecy blesses everyone. Prophecy blesses everyone. Look in verse 5, right? He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. He's saying, I want that to be a a spiritual experience you have have happened to you. But even more to prophesy, the one who prophesies is greater than than the one who speaks in tongues. So he's just put a, a level on that. See, this is greater unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. So to speak words that people understand is the far greater thing to do because it builds up the church. That's the point he's making. So notice the urgency to it. We're back to verse 1, 14 verse 1. He says, pursue love to go after it, to seek it. Everything we just learned in, in uh, chapter 13, you can go back and listen to last week's if you missed that, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. A lot of times we don't think of that, right? We think if it happens, it happens. If God enables me to do something, he does. If he's made me a certain way, then he does. But here he's saying, I want you to earnestly desire. I want you to go after something. I want you to ask God to allow you to prophesy, allow you to speak intelligible words to bless others. That's why I was talking about making every effort. Like, Lord, I want this to happen. I want to bless others. I want to build up your church. I want you to see there's an effort there. Earnestly desire, especially. And then you look down at verse 12. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel. Right? Not just sort of kind to do it. Strive, go after to excel, to do an amazing job of building up the church. So this isn't just something if it happens, if it works out, great. He says, I want there to be an intentional, desiring, focus, making it happen. So what are we talking about here with prophecy? The word in its most simple form means inspired speech. Inspired speech means inspired by God, not something that you've made up. Now, a lot of times our mind immediately goes to prophecy as foretelling, right? What's going to happen next week? Tell me what's going to happen in the future. That's usually, we think prophecy, we think somebody predicting, right? And that's, that's immediately we go to. That, but that's actually the minority of prophecy. Some of it does, and we read in Scripture, you know, God tells Isaiah this, and we're going to celebrate him here over the next month, right? Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a child, right? We're going to read that in Isaiah 7. We're going to be reading these prophecies in Micah, you know, the child will be born in Bethlehem. So there is some foretelling, telling of the future, but the majority of prophecy is forthtelling. 
This is what you need to know from God. It's not predicting the future. Most of what the biblical prophets did was say, repent, stop that. God's coming to destroy you. Enemy armies are coming to destroy you because you worship other gods. That's prophetic speech. Stop it. Repent, right? If you've seen the, the Veggie Tales Jonah, that's what he does when he gets there. Stop it. That's his whole message. Don't do that anymore. That's prophetic speech. You're inspired. You're trying to turn people back. You're turning people to God. So before you think, well, I'm no prophet, that's weird. Think, oh, we have an opportunity to give inspired speech to people, which I'll show you that in a minute, and tell them something they need to hear to forth tell. This is what you need to hear. This is a word, this is the scripture, this applies to your life in this way. This applies to all believers in this way. You don't have to tell them, like, next week I think you're going to crash your car, right? We don't, we don't have to worry about that part of it. We can build up the church telling inspired speech, sharing the word with each other. So let's look at some of this. The one who prophesies, this is verse 3, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The upbuilding is like putting a foundation under people. Like putting something solid. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to put structure around you so the whole life, your whole spiritual life is built on something solid. When you give people the word of God, it is solid. The word there, encouragement. It's actually where we get our word for the Holy Spirit. One of the words for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. To come alongside. Right? If you're ever stuck or down, or behind, and you're sad, and someone says, just keep going. I am praying for you. God is with you. You are not alone, right? Today, our praise together was encouraging. God is faithful. That's encouragement. That builds you up. It's someone coming alongside. That's the word encouragement. And then consolation is where we get the word to comfort. You're sad. You've experienced loss, Something's not going well, and someone comes alongside and says, I just want you to, I just want to give you this psalm that talks about God doesn't ever leave you, or this psalm about God knowing your struggles, or, or, or whatever it might be. That, that prophecy is this, right? It's not telling people the future, it's building people up, it's encouraging them, it's comforting them. Look at what it says in verse 6. He says, If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you four things, revelation, knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. Revelation, it's where we get the word for like the book, Revelation, or Bible, is the word apocalypse. It's to unveil something. But that doesn't have to mean always unveiling something that's um, future. You could just be stuck in a passage. You go, I don't know what that means. And someone says, oh, look at this. And this is part of it, and it's been open to you. Oh, I get it now. So that's giving some of the word, explaining the word to somebody. It can be an apocalypse. It can be unveiling something, uncovering something. Knowledge, right? I didn't know this about God. Now I do. I didn't know this about his word. Now I do. Prophecy, again, is inspired speech. A lot of it is calling people to repent, calling people to say, you're off track. Danger, warning. And then teaching is where we get the word for a catechism, systematic instruction. That would be the more formal one there, teaching. We're going to go through this book of the Bible. We're going to learn these attributes of God. We're going to understand how the atonement works. It's a formal teaching. That would be something that would be more of a systematic instruction. 
So these are things when he's saying, I want to build up the church, the idea of giving people prophecy. A lot of it is this very kind of thing, um, uncovering something in the Bible, explaining something, speaking it to somebody's life at a key moment, explaining something in an orderly way. So this is why I say we all have inspired speech. If you look at 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's where we get the word inspired, right? Breath, it's the same kind of word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That you can give prophecy to somebody by taking his inspired word and giving it to them in a moment, whether instructing or correcting. Same with uh, Peter, says the same thing. Second Peter 1, 20, he says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's really the idea of being in a, in a sailboat. You're in the boat, you're ready to go, but if there's no wind, and in these days they did not have diesel engines, you just sat there, right? The Holy Spirit moves you. The author is ready with their personality, with their writing style, right? The authors are different, but none of it is from them. It's from the Holy Spirit moving them along. So that's why I say prophecy, the word blesses everyone. The word blesses everyone. He's saying, I don't want you to focus on a private, spiritual thing that no one else understands. I want you to focus on giving people the inspired word of God, showing them how it works, disclosing it, explaining it, making it available to them, showing in an orderly fashion, giving a word for the moment, giving a correction for the moment, because it builds everyone up. We all grow by God's word. I remember, many of you remember Pastor John on our staff for a long time here, and uh, he told me, he said, remember, God promises to bless his word, not your word. He said that to me. When you're preaching, he's going to bless his word, so give people his word. He's not really promised to bless your word. He'll bless his word. And so this is what we want to give people, God's word. Now I want to show you there's a passage that's very, well, it's been actually also showed to me by Pastor John, um, that's been extremely important to me in my prep, in my prayer time. When I'm preparing for a sermon, I often will pray this passage, but it talks all about some boundaries around prophecy, and it's in Jeremiah 23. And I love this scripture, and so I want to show you Jeremiah 23. We're going to start in verse 16. And the setting is God speaking to his nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, And they've been in rebellion, and they're not listening, and they've been worshiping other gods. And then this whole group of prophets rise up and say that God sent them to speak, but God's going to say, in fact, I did not send them. But I want us to see some things about prophecy, about speaking God's word that applies to all of us, that we can all do it, right? Not necessarily that you're going to go tell somebody the future, Right? I'm not even worried about that. I'm worried about speaking forth God's word that he has inspired. So if you go to Jeremiah 23, verse 16. 
And this is God chastising false prophets. But there's a lot in here that is just extremely powerful and important for us to hear. So verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. See the difference? What word do we pay attention to? A human's word or God's word? These prophecies was coming from their own head. They say continually to those who despise the word of God, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. Right? He's saying, look, <laughs> they are, they're not warning you. you can, I'm going to live however I want. Oh, don't worry about it. God will bless you. He's like, These are not prophets I sent. Verse 18, and here's a key to being someone who can speak God's word. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Who has paid attention to his word and listened? A prophet is somebody who's been in the counsel of the Lord. I want to hear what you say. I want to know what you, I'm paying attention to you. That is honestly my prayer every week. I don't have anything to give to you. I could tell interesting stories. I could quote a lot of Seahawks trivia, which is very meaningless this year. It doesn't matter. It does you no good, right? It does you no good. But if I give you God's word that I've heard in prayer, not something out of the blue, but something from Scripture, I've paid attention to it, that's what feeds people. And all of us can do that. We can all be in his counsel, Bible open, praying, what does this mean? What does this say? I'm standing in your counsel. I'm paying attention to you. I'm not thinking up my own stuff. Verse 20, or did I do 19? I didn't do 19. Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly, right? There is a day common with the judgment of the Lord. Verse 21, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. Here it is again. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to the people, and they would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Again, the prophet stands in front of God. In prayer, in front of his word, what do you want me to say? Not what do I want to say, what do you want me to say? And when you have something to say, it turns people from evil. It calls people to repent. Don't go that way. Danger, warning, trouble, sin. Come this way. If your word comforts people in disobedience, it's not from God. Verse 23, this talks about God. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? They had a low view of God. I can do this thing over here. He doesn't see me. I can do this thing over there. He's not paying attention. He's like, I'm everywhere. I see everything. I see all of it. 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, 
who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. It's one of those uh, rhetorical, right? Nothing. One of them you put in the bottom of an animal's pen, and one of them you feed the animal, right? Very different. God's word is food. Made-up word is something you go to the bathroom on, right? An animal stall. There's a big difference. Is not, here's verse 29, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Ooh, ooh. That's serious, right? Human word doesn't do much. God's word is like a fire. It can burn. It can cleanse. It can, it can destroy. His word's like a hammer that can break a rock. It can break a hard heart. Did it break some of your hard hearts? You're confronted and you go, oh, no. Right? His word shapes kingdoms. His word splits a sea. His word raises the dead. Right? That's God's word. And that's the test of a prophet. You're in his presence, listening to his word, giving it to the people. It brings repentance. It brings power. Something happens versus made-up word keeps people in their sin and keeps people wayward. So that's what Paul's saying. Make every effort to build each other up with the word, with the fire from God, with the hammer, with the truth. His word, not yours, his word. And this is what I want you to think. Everyone can do this. A lot of times we think, ah, that's just a few people. But what did he tell us? Strive, desire. You can all take time to be in God's presence. Right? We just saw that with the prophet. We can stand in his counsel. God, what do you want to teach me? You can open his inspired speech. Right? We live in such a day of technology. Some people go, I'm a poor reader. There are so many apps that play it aloud. You think, I'm a poor reader, I can listen to it. We can be in his word and we can give it to people in small ways. Not all of it is someone preaching from the front. Most of it is someone giving you a verse. John Westerland takes pictures and writes verses on them and gives them to people. Like here, there's prophecy, God's inspired speech, and a picture. It can be encouraging. Anybody ever got one of those? few of you have. You've got some work to do, John. I didn't see everybody raising their hands. Right? It's inspired speech. A child did it for us today. A child did it. That You can take a word. It can be in the bottom of a card. I was thinking this verse for you today. Write it in. You can text it to somebody because it's God's word. You don't have to think of something out of the blue. In fact, we were just told not to do that. Right? That's what people make up. But Jeremiah told us to take God's word and give it. And it could be that God says, I want you to take this verse to that person. You don't even know why. Okay, here it is. God told me to give you this verse today. And it's from him. It's his word for the right moment. And I just want to encourage you to, de- to desire that. To say, God, I want to be in your presence with your word. And then I want you to give it to me to give to someone else to build them up. That's very different than I want a spiritual experience that exalts me. 
I want a spiritual experience that builds others up. The Word of God does that. I want to take your inspired speech and give it to someone else. So I'd encourage you not to immediately assume that's for somebody else. Because Paul told them, desire it. Strive for it. Make every effort to give people the Word. We can all do that in different ways. Because the Word is life-giving. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I've gotten some of those from people, a verse in a moment, someone else opening a scripture. In fact, this last Tuesday at our uh, Tuesday night prayer time, 7 o'clock, we had the new director of the Light of the World Prayer Center come. His name's Bill Richardson. He's from Scotland. It's, It's pretty amazing to listen to Scottish people talk about Christ, but so he comes and, uh, but he took Psalm 100 and he just broke down every little part of the verse and had us pray through it. So he, he, he ministered to us in that way. It was amazing. Someone broke down this verse, led us in prayer. It was life-giving. It was life-giving when someone brought the word to us, not in a formal preaching setting, in a prayer setting. And so I'd encourage you, cards, notes, texts, Share the word with people. Stand in the counsel of the Lord and say, is there anything you want me to do? Um, You can just ask yourself, who can I share this with? You have a morning quiet time routine or a nighttime quiet time routine or a verse of the day pop up on your phone? Ask one more question. Say, Lord, I want to apply this to my life. Who could I share it with? And we could build one another up in the word of God that we're encouraged to strive for. Make every effort to build each other up with the word. What if we did that this Christmas season? Every Christmas card, you put a verse in it. Are you really praying, Lord, I want to give your word to people? Who do I need to give it to? Maybe it's a hard word. Maybe it's a comforting word. But I want to give your word to people and let's build each other up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word that changes, that cleanses, that purifies, that convicts. I just pray that we'd have a spirit of this church where we desire to build each other up in your word. Let it be in our mind that it's not for someone else to do, it's for all of us to do. Put people on our mind today that you want us to share a scripture with, that you want us to encourage, to comfort, that you want us to challenge. Lord, would you just put that in and we'd build each other up, not to show off our own knowledge, skills, and ability, but to point people to you. And I just pray for your fire word to work, for your hammer word to work, to change our church, to change our community, to go with these students to school tomorrow, to go with us to our workplaces tomorrow, to go with us to our uh, exercises places tomorrow, to go with us to our errands tomorrow. Would your word go with us and change people? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.